Hello and welcome to Animation Celery. Crunchy conversations about classic cartoons. We are your hosts. We've got more fur than any turtle ever had. I'm Matsy. And I'm Micah. We've given each other a cartoon to watch, review, and analyze. We'll be getting to that later, but uh, for right now, Matsy, what's happening? Well, I've recently watched a modern cartoon that I'm not proud of, um, but it was there in front of me and I felt I, I just had to know. I have watched the most recent episode as of this recording of The Simpsons. Oh, what a relief. I thought you were going to say Big Mouth. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. Lord. No, no. Um, I'm, I may be masochistic, but not that masochistic. Um, no, I, I hadn't actually watched The Simpsons in a long time. And I, you know, it, it got bad at some point. And I wanted to see how bad or if it's still bad. And it's... It's still... Well, let me explain. The The episode was called Diary Queen. And the main conceit of it was that Bart had come into possession of Mrs. Krabappel's diary. And he had uh, gleaned from this diary that Mrs. Krabappel always saw great potential in him. And he started to be like, oh my gosh, she always thought I was such a good kid. And decided to try living up to that potential and became like a really good student. But then Lisa discovered from looking at the diary that Mrs. Krabappel had actually been talking about her cat. Yeah. Um, and so the episode is Bart becoming a good student and Lisa stressing over whether to tell him that it's all based on a lie. Um, Where does he find it? Over at the Flanders, is this? Uh, yes. Um, the, the, the episode opens with a musical number involving Flanders having a rummage sale. Um, which is one of the things about this, like watching this, I, I, I was thinking about the writing of this and it's not necessarily that it's bad per se. Like, it's not like they, they've written a cartoon and judged its quality poorly. Mm, okay. It's that it's amateurish that they don't actually know how to write television. Huh. Um, and an example of this is the rummage sale where, you know, Flanders is selling things and he's seeing, you know, the, the bully kids have bought his Norman Rockwell plates and are smashing them. And, and he's looking around, he's seeing like, you know, Otto bought a lava lamp and he's smoking out of it like a bong hmm, okay. and this kind of thing. And he becomes angry and he's like, I'm not going to sell anybody, anything to anybody else unless they're going to treat it with respect. And that never goes anywhere. That's the end of that. Like it's that just leads into Bart and Milhouse saying, "Can we buy these books? We'll we'll treat them well." And they end up setting them on fire to jump over them on a skateboard. But like that whole little plot of Flanders being annoyed with the way people were using his stuff just dies right there. And there's like there was another instance of that where Lisa is stressing out about Bart becoming a good student and everything. And there's a point where she's scratching her arm and these bumps show up. Like mm. she starts to get hives. And Marge takes her to the doctor and the doctor says, oh, there's a stress highs. I'm going to prescribe some medication. And, you know, Marge says, I don't want to put my daughter on meds. And, and it becomes a joke about, um, you know, ask your doctor about a drug. And then he's the doctor. And so he starts telling her about the drug. And then that's it. The hives are gone. It's never mentioned again for the rest of the episode. Maybe, yeah. maybe it's high standard, though, because I think a lot of Simpsons are, episodes are like that. They have little tangent jokes all the time. Yeah, but the joke went nowhere. Like, it was this entire sequence of her getting hives and the hives getting worse and going to the doctor and having the discussion about medication. And then it's over. She doesn't have hives anymore. It's never mentioned again for the rest of this the show. It's like that whole little subplot, even though it was a little sub, sub ah, subplot, it's like the whole reason it was there was just to do that one joke about asking your doctor about medication and the doctor being in the pocket. Right. Okay, bear with, um, bear with me. It's somewhat related then. Um, yeah. Have you watched all of Friendship is Magic? Not all of it. I feel like I... You know what it is? I actually didn't see the movie, and uh, so I haven't seen anything from the movie forward. It's funny. Even people who are big fans of it, I, I'm. Uh, it's scarce for me to find one that has watched the entire series. There's like a drop off at some point. I have seen the movie and it's mm. a slow burn for me where I'll watch an episode once in a while. 
And that to me is a show that has fallen somewhat and maybe always was sort of um, uh, inconsistent. But Hmm. I find that a lot of the time when you're watching it, it just doesn't deliver you on your expectations. So there will be jokes and stuff that don't follow through, which is kind of what you're telling me about The Simpsons, right? Uh, Right. Okay. I mean, that show in particular, like thinking back to the first few seasons of that, like the episodes that were not good Mm. really stood out. Like any, even, even back when it was new, like every, when everybody was a fan of that show, even the fans of the show, they could point out, Oh yeah. The one with the owl is terrible. The one Mm -hmm. with the, the Buffalo is terrible. Like everybody (laughs) pointed out the same episodes as being bad. Um, I think I kind of diverged from the pack when I thought, uh, what was the episode? Magical mystery cure. Um, it was the one where um, Twilight Sparkle became an alicorn. By the way, for people who um, don't know, I think I only said friendship is magic. We're talking about My Little Pony. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, like that episode, Magical Mystery Cure. Um, I think that was the point where I, I don't know if a lot of people were blinded by the spectacle of Twilight becoming an alicorn. But for me, I was like, that episode sucks. Mm. It's It's got a great concept to start with. And then it's it's very much you know now that you mention it it's like what i'm talking about here where there's there's this sequence it's a lot of it is just based around um excuses to have songs where there's twilight's like oh i'm gonna sing this sad song about how i can't figure it out and then spike's like come on you can figure it out and she's like oh wait yes i can in fact i just did like it it just abruptly is solved and then the other half of the episode is songs about her being an alicorn like that's it's well. See, that's mm. the, that's the parallel to the Simpsons, I think, and that uh, uh, yeah, not all, not only just the jokes, but the plot points. They never you can follow them along, right? And you can expect things, but it doesn't even subvert your expectations. It just doesn't do anything. Yeah. So that's that's why I think most people don't like uh, haven't watched all the way through. Is they they'll watch a couple episodes like me, and then they'll kind of feel dissatisfied and stop. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I I think it was like it said. Like for me, it was like, oh, I got to watch the movie. Okay, I'll come back to this. Um, and then I just never did. Um, the movie's not bad. The the movie's, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. Uh, the villain is not strong. There's like a sub villain who is more meaningful to the movie. Okay. Uh, and I think it expands the universe in a weird way, you know, (laughs) to where like how, how many sentient animals are there out there and how many of them are, uh, humanoid seems a little (laughs) weird weird to me, but on on the whole, on the whole, it's pretty good. Okay. All right. Well, I might look into that sometime. But yeah. anyway, yeah. So this the Modern Simpsons, and there's a couple of other things. Like it seems like Nancy Cartwright is losing her ability to do Bart Simpson's voice. Like it's just kind of it doesn't sound right. Um, they've gotten somebody. Like I guess it's probably Nancy Cartwright um, to replace Russie Taylor as Martin, and the voice is pretty close. I mean, I. I can't blame it too much. Like somebody died. Right. Like, but actually that's, I hadn't thought about it, but this is a good place to set down my, my prediction. Mm-hmm. I've been making this prediction for like 20 years now, and <laughs> it's just getting closer and closer to reality. My prediction is that one of the core six cast members of the Simpsons will die before they produce a final episode of that show. And then they'll just have to, whatever episode was the last one they made will end up being the series finale and it'll be unsatisfying. They should uh, have a morbid pre final episode. I've thought about that. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Just record one and put it in the vault. Like if we ever, you know, if one of you ever goes down, this is what we'll whip out to finish it. Oh, oh, Um, and they should do it like, uh, uh, like who shot Mr. Burns. Where, where different people have died and they make up ways in which the different cast members have died. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Okay, yeah. Let's see. If Julie Kavner goes first, here's an episode where Marge dies. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I myself am watching, uh, uh, I had watched um, High Score Girl. Have you seen that? Oh, that name sounds familiar, but I can't place it. Well, I figure you probably hadn't because it's anime kind of. Uh, so high score girl is, uh, it's computer animated. Okay. Um, and it's a love letter to 
the arcade scene and consoles of the 90s. Huh. Okay. So, um, the main character, Haduo, is mm-hmm. a high schooler who's, well, I guess he's in grade six at the beginning, but he's, he's obsessed with video games. Right. Uh, to the point where if he's like in a new town for the first time, he wonders what video games they might have at the convenience store. <laughs> All right. Um, and one of the things about the show is that it has um, all the uh, like footage of the actual video games. So like you look at the end credits and it lists all the rights they've got from you know from various oh. studios, Cap- Capcom, Taito, et cetera, et cetera, right? Oh, interesting. They didn't just make up dumb fake cart uh, fake video games. No, and and further like he has uh, like uh, characters from the video games encourage and guide him in his life. Like, mo- okay. most pertinently, Guile from Street Fighter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, what a life coach. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I like that more often than not, they use his original uh, portrait sprite, too. The crummy one with no eyebrows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, that weird uh, mouth. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, it's, it's uh, like a romance story. Um, oh. So, uh, it's, it's kind of weird. Like, I'm wondering what audience this is for. Like, clearly me, right? <laughs> Because like, yeah. it's, it's a modern anime, right? And it's about high school romance, but it takes place in the 90s. And uh, I think anyone flexible can just roll along with the humor in the show. But if you are in the know, you'll get the jokes in advance. Like, right. like there's a character who uh, gets Final Fight for the Super Nintendo with the hope of playing it together with Haruo. Oh, and the Super NES version is the single player one. Right, exactly, right? But they don't deliver on that joke for a while. So it's like there's, it's laced with stuff like that where you'll know in advance because like, you can look at it through the lens of history. I, th- I think you probably like that for a lot of that stuff. Okay. Yeah, it had, huh. a, it had a second season, which you know, was a nice surprise for me because uh, the first kind of, it didn't tie everything up, but it was a nice ending anyway. Hmm. And this one kind of does too. At first I was thinking like it was done, it didn't need more of this, but they did well enough and who knows if... If there's the uh, money and will for it, they'll make a third one that'll look at uh, the PlayStation and PlayStation 2 era, maybe. Actually, that's, oh, wow. that's another funny thing you get to, uh, through the lens of history, appreciate that uh, Haruo mm. always, always backs the wrong horse. So, like, <laughs> so, that's clever. Yeah, at the beginning, his console of choice is the PC Engine TurboGrafx-16. Yeah, I, I knew it. Yeah. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when the PlayStation comes out, he becomes a firm Saturn man. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. Oh, I like that. Well, hey, do you want to tell me about your cartoon? Like, the first cartoon that I made you watch? Yeah. <laughs> sure. Actually, uh, it's kind of funny. Uh, you, the two cartoons you made me watch have a through line with them. Really? I didn't realize. I mean, I've, I've watched both cartoons, but not recently. It was an accident? Because, like, uh, yeah. they take place in parodies of Yellowstone Park, for one. Okay. And they both have well, park rangers. Yeah. I, and one is well, a minor role, but, but they, they're, they're similar in that way. So like one, uh, the first one I'll talk about takes place in Jellowstone Park. Uh-huh. And the other one in Peachstone Park. Not as good a, not even really mm. a pun. No. Yeah. Um, so, so what's the first one? Yeah, it's uh, Wabbit Twubble. Okay. Yeah, it's directed by Bob Clampett. And he's cleverly mm. in the credits as Wobbert Quampett. That's pretty good. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he even, I guess he went by Robert just so he could supplant a W for the R. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I guess there's expectations when you have a Bob Clampett cartoon that it's going to be kind of crazy, right? Yeah. And so they kind of get into it right away with Elmer Fuzz driving his car to uh, Jellowstone Park. And arbitrarily, it's just kind of like uh, the car is moving with a, uh, uh, to a conga line beat. And and his back tire does a kick every time, you know, dun, 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 dun. So, oh, we should talk about uh, Elmer here. So this is like, oh yeah, this is a design of Elmer that uh, is known as Fat Elmer. Uh Uh-huh. So like between uh, 1941, 1942, he's fat in all the cartoons, right? (laughs) Like, which is a weird look. It is, because I think everybody, if you ask them, would say that he's fat. But he isn't really. Like, 
he's kind of he evolved from this weird. Uh, you remember a, a character called Egghead? I I've looked this up briefly when I was re- well, I didn't research this cartoon as deeply as you did, but I kind of yeah. glanced around like what's well, a good Elmer Fudd, and then I stumbled across this. I'm like, oh, is Egghead? Oh, that's interesting, but I didn't read any further into it. I think I might have some vague memory buried deep in my brain, but nothing that I could speak with any authority on. He's kind of the scrawny taxman character. And the mm. theory is that he eventually becomes Elmer Fudd. Uh, if for uh, the best reason, besides looks, that uh, his little scooter that he drives in one cartoon uh, has like on the, on the, uh, the caddy Elmer Fudd and Associates or something like that. Okay. The official line now, He's, he's been in like some modern Warner Brothers cartoons. Uh, Egghead has that is. Oh. Yeah. So the official line is that they're actually brothers. Oh, interesting. Egghead Fudd. Yeah. So, but if if you look back into it, then obviously it's just an evolution of like it happens all the time in cartoons where, yeah, uh, you know they decide like, well, guess what? It turns out he was a dog all along. That kind of thing. Yeah. So, but anyway, this is the 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 fat Elmer. Like afterward, he kind of. The, the modern one is more just kind of built like a baby, sort of, right? Like a toddler. Yeah, I would guess that anybody who thinks that Elmer Fudd is fat is probably just thinking about his head and extending that to the rest of his body. Because you think about, like, even the the later, not parody, but, like, spin-off of Elmer Fudd, Montana Max, has just a gigantic head compared to his body. Oh, wait, no, that's he's not, Yosemite he, Sam. He's, yeah, he's that's, Yosemite that's Sam. That's Elmira. That's Elmira. Uh, okay, I, I am mistaken. Yeah, yeah. Okay, carry on. So, at any rate, he, he goes to the camp, and uh, Bugs sees him coming and sets up a camp here sign by his rabbit hole, right? And uh-huh. he, he, like, hides the rabbit hole. So This is kind of already interesting because, you know, like, historians, when they talk about Bugs Bunny, they always kind of frame him as, like, somebody messes with him, but then he gives it back harder, right? Right. But, <laughs> but like, the old version of Bugs, he's just a jerk. Yeah. Right. So uh, that kind of struck me in the little bit of this that I, cause I feel like I've watched this a few years ago and that's why it was relatively fresh in my mind. Yeah. But it did strike me, you know, like, cause you used to watch cartoons all the time. And so they, it all kind of, the tropes of them just kind of blurred together and you accepted it. Mm. But if you watch one in a vacuum like this, then it's like, Oh wait, no, this character's just a jerk for no reason. Repeatedly. Yeah. yeah. The old Daffy duck too. Yeah. Uh, I guess that was the kind of character that appealed to them. Um, I, me too, kind of. I kind of like it better than him being an innocent, right? But mm. um, So they have some hijinks at the rabbit hole and, you know, with him pulling the tent down and so on. And Elmer gets frustrated and resolves it by nailing a board down, nails into the earth. Which, mm. you know, doesn't work, of course. No. Um, so when Bugs comes out, he does his impression of him. So, like, he, he morphs down into a squat fatso and does his voice and everything. Um, and there is a video uh, called something like One Second of Every Warner Brothers Cartoon. Oh, wow. It's hilarious. It's especially the, the examples of the old ones. I think it mostly moves chronologically. At any rate, from this cartoon, that uh, Bugs morphed into Elmer is the one second they chose. <laughs> I got to watch that. That sounds good. Oh, it's real good. Um, so... Uh, from there, it goes to Bugs doing like an elaborate prank where he's uh, painted Elmer's glasses uh, with black paint so that when he wakes him up, he thinks it's nighttime and goes mm-hmm. to bed. But then he fools with the alarm to wake him up instantly, which is not a real great prank because Elmer's never aware that it happens. But <laughs> Interesting. That's a funny thought. Yeah. It, it convolutedly leads to Elmer getting up and washing his face. And then, like, suds in his eyes looking for the towel to, uh, to wipe it away. And uh, Bugs leads Elmer off a cliff uh, <laughs> in a search for a towel. You know, no fall. It's one of those cases where he gets to look down and realize that he's going to fall, and so it jumps back. Sure. So, uh, finally, uh, Elmer gets his sh- uh, trademark shotgun and very justifiably is out to kill this rabbit. Yeah. Which leads to him having an encounter with a bear. Which, you know, then uh, propels to a wacky chase scene. So this is more of this kind of Bob Clampity kind of stuff where they're uh, darting from tree to tree where, you know, like, uh, it's, it's like the gag of running in from one door to the other. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So like Elmer's hiding behind a tree and the bear's looking around another tree and then they're just uh, uh, swooshing from one to the other. 
but then they keep up that facade even during a barren patch with no trees. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in the end, Elmer ends up like so frustrated that he leaves the park, right? And uh, he's about to leave, but when he sees the uh, the Jellowstone sign saying that it's like a relaxing place to be, that he gets upset and hacks it apart with an axe. <laughs> but the uh, burly forest ranger there is and, and catches him. And <laughs> this uh, vandalism gets him into prison at the what? end. <laughs> yeah, that's the punishment for hacking up a sign. The, oh it, <laughs> it might actually be. There might actually be prison time for like damaging a national park or something. But oh, maybe. Maybe. But the, uh, the big hook at the end is that uh, he thinks he's <laughs> he thinks the silver lining to being in prison is that he's safe from that rabbit and that bear. <laughs> but when he looks over, Bugs is in the bottom bunk and the bear is in the top bunk. Of course. Which really leads to me to believe, like, it makes me wonder, did the ranger arrest them there too? How committed is Bugs to harassing this dude? Like, really committed. <laughs> he's a psychopath. Yeah. That's that's so weird. Like, because I mean, you know, for some cartoons, you got to kind of suspend your disbelief for the sake of the gag. But right. you know, as an adult, I can't help but think like, what what's the story behind why Bugs and this bear are in prison? Like, is Bugs getting his just desserts for harassing Elmer, and is the bear in there for like attempted homicide or something? <laughs> he doesn't care. He's a lunatic. <laughs> weird. Ah, uh, at any rate. Uh, not bad. It wasn't uh, as crazy as maybe I'd hope for a Bob Clampett cartoon, but it was okay. Hmm. So okay. Uh, I, re- I recommended a couple cartoons to you. Yeah, and one of them I think dovetails pretty well with um, uh, Wabbit Twubble, um, because you've got... <laughs> this wasn't a great example of an Elmer Fudd and Bugs Bunny cartoon in the sense of Elmer being an antagonist, which um, Bugs is trying to uh, thwart with any justification right but you know this this kind of trope is known in cartoons where you have like you know elmer is hunting daffy and so daffy thwarts him or sylvester wants tweety and tweety thwarts sylvester or whatever the idea of a of a prey being thwarted by a predator sure um and so what i've got here is the ant and the aardvark yeah you do uh which is it's a United Artists cartoon directed by Fritz Freeling. Um, it's in terms of cartoon pantheons, uh, this would be part of the Pink Panther umbrella. Mm-hmm. Um, and indeed, the the characters have been resurrected in a more modern um, uh, Pink Panther and Pals cartoon, which I also watched a bit of and is terrible in its own ways. But let's not talk about that. Okay. Um, there were seventeen theatrical shorts about the ant and the aardvark. Um, Unbelievably. Which were, yeah. Um, and they were all adopted, adapted rather for, uh, television broadcasts. Um, this is the very first one, which is just called the ant and the aardvark. Mm-hmm. And it's simply an ant who's apparently named Charlie, although it isn't mentioned in this cartoon yet. And he's doing what ants do, which is stealing food from a nearby picnic. Um, I guess the implication is that it's the aardvark's picnic, although that's never explicitly stated. Hmm. But you can, I guess you can jump to that conclusion. Um, But at the same time, the aardvark just really wants to eat the ant. And that's kind of what it is. It is the, the aardvark trying to eat the ant or no, he's trying to eat the ant. And while doing so stopping the ant from getting food, because that's what the ant is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it ties in like, you know, he'll, I guess it's just a reason for the ant to be out of its anthill. Right. Um, this cartoon, I thought about it a bit. And what I've decided is that this is kind of like if you described the idea of cartoon gags to a robot that doesn't have a <laughs> sense of humor. And then that robot made some because it's even the characters don't think that the pratfalls are funny. Um, something I noticed is this, the version that I watched is the version from television. And this is a 1968 cartoon, I believe. Okay. Um, which would have been on TV, I guess, in the 70s. And 
around that time, it wasn't uncommon for cartoons to have a laugh track Mm. because, you know, the Flintstones, I guess. And even the laugh track of this doesn't think it's funny. (laughs) It's pretty late. Yeah. It's like, you know how sometimes there'll be like a little bit of a laugh when a joke is coming because some people in the audience can see the joke coming and they know there's going to be a bigger laugh in a minute. Right. That's the laugh. It's like whenever something mildly funny happens, there's this tepid little. (laughs) Um, But to give you an example here, like the first thing that happens to the aardvark is that he, he tries to suck up the ant while the ant is holding a pie. And Mm. as you may imagine, the pie goes flying to the aardvark, hits him in the face. Now there's a couple of ways that this can go. In a typical cartoon, if someone gets hit in the face with a cream pie, they can stumble backwards into some pratfall. Um, the pie tin can fall off and the cream has formed like a mustache on their face or made them look like a celebrity or something like that. And on a related note, if someone in a cartoon gets hit in the head with a hard object, there's a number of plat- uh, pratfalls that can happen there where you know they can, their eyes can go crossed and... There are stars and maybe a bump rises from their forehead. They Maybe they go like, and fall down or something like that. In this, the pie hits the aardvark in the face. Right. And he just says, coconut cream pie. Know how I know it's coconut? And he lifts up the tin and there's a coconut there. Yeah. Because there's a real coconut and it hoits. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like there's no... Like, he doesn't react to being hit with the pie. There's no comedy involved in the the pie itself. He doesn't react to being injured by the coconut. Like, he just points out, I got hit in the face with a pie, and it had a thing in it. That's the joke. Like, it, it, it's weird like this. Like, like, all the jokes are like that, where there's minimal reaction. And that's the thing. Like, in the comedy, like the reaction is often the funniest part. Right. And it's just the aardvark, just deadpan going like, there's a point where he's underground and he, you see above ground, there's a, a gas main and the Kong as he hits it. And he's like, what was this? I'll light a match and take a look. And then there's an explosion <laughs> and he comes out and he's all blackened. He's like, how, how did I, was I supposed to know he had central heating or something like that? Like, yeah. yeah. And, the finale of it is when, for the first time, more than one ant shows up and he's stomping on them or trying to. And out of nowhere, he ends up wandering into a minefield, which was apparently next to this picnic site the whole time. Right. <laughs> and it's so strange. Like, it's the humor is just so weird and uneven. And um, it's fascinating, though. Like, it's. It's fascinating to see comedy fail so clinically. See, I actually kind of like that it is an utter subversion, but <laughs> but this is kind of, uh, I think it's sort of like, so you know, Tom and Jerry cartoons, hmm. they have the same dynamic between two characters, but it's told all through the action. Right. Well, this is sort of like taking that except doing it all through the dialogue. Yeah. Actually, that reminds me, there is one, there was one gag in this that I genuinely thought was funny. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the aardvark's techniques to get the ant is he decides to smoke him out, um, which is done in the typical 60s fashion of getting a huge cigar. And he lights the cigar and he sucks on it and blows smoke down into the anthill. And he does this repeatedly and it gets slower and slower and he starts to turn green And eventually he's had enough and he stumbles away and falls down. And the ant comes up and he says like, hey, buddy, is there anything I can do for you? And the aardvark goes, make a wish for me. Wish I was dead. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I, I, that was to me the funniest part of this whole cartoon. I think it's, um, well, like the, the, the voice actor, John Biner. Mm hmm. Uh, he's like an impressionist, right? So I think what they tried to do is make it uh, fit in line with his Dean Martin and Jackie Mason impressions. That's exactly right. Um, and you can, in fact, 
I, for a long time, thought that Jackie Mason was the voice of the aardvark, because my exposure to Jackie Mason had been as um, Krusty the Clown's father in mm. The Simpsons. And so I was like, oh, it's the, um, it's, it's the aardvark's voice. And I didn't realize until I watched this that it was someone doing an impression of Jackie Mason. Right, right. Well, uh, just a point of trivia... One of his mm-hmm. last, I guess, uh, voice acting things. He did, uh, you remember a Simpsons episode called E-I-E-I Doe? Where, um, Tamako? Yeah, wow. Impressive. <laughs> um, he is Zorro in that movie. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, I will tell you, I, I did a little research into this. And there's not a lot to know about the end, the aardvark. Like I said, you know, there's 17 shorts. They went to TV later, blah, blah, blah. Um, But there is one piece of information that astounded me. Mm -hmm. In other territories, in other languages, the aardvark is sometimes recast as an anteater, just because an aardvark is kind of an esoteric animal, I guess. Okay. In the German version of the ant and the aardvark, the anteater, in this case, is female. Huh. Apparently named Eliza. And the the character is so shriveled and disheveled with weird hairs pointing out everywhere. Yeah. That it's really hard for me to view that character as female. And I'm really interested in seeing if I can find the German version of the ant and the aardvark. And now that I'm saying it out loud, I wonder if this is a modern invention um, from the redone versions because because there have been a few different ant and aardvark like i said the pink panther and pals which was done i think it was something like 2014 ish something like that which by the way is ugly yeah i didn't even bother <laughs> looking at those i just glanced at it just for the sake of like oh, let me see what this looks like and it's like boy it's well i checked out i checked it out a little bit and if the if, if, if the charm in the original is only in the voices well that isn't there either i think the art has a little bit of charm like i yeah. I like that kind of rough sort of sketchy look to some extent. Like if that is the style and not just laziness, like, you know, it can go like, because you can see bits of sketchiness in the body here and there, but then you get something like the Aristocats where there's like visible construction lines in some frames. Right. And it's like, what are we doing? But if it's like, if that's the style, cause it's, you know, the the backgrounds, like the colors don't quite match up with the outlines properly. Um, the ant is completely red and the aardvark's completely blue, including clothes. And so it like, it's it's a stylistic choice, which I think kind of works. Hmm. Um, so I don't mind that so much, but it's when the character design of the modern ones where they've like given the aardvark's, like the aardvark's mouth is this big bulbous, growth at the end of his nose like an elephant trunk with a mace at the end or something um that's where it falls apart for me where it's like the character design doesn't work hmm anyway that's that what else you got for me okay well uh continuing the uh, yellowstone theme we have um hunger strife this is a walter lance cartoon uh so Right off the bat, I laughed as I started the cartoon because it started off with the uh, little interstitial from the Woody Woodpecker show. Uh-huh. We're like, right. he's skipping down the, the uh, stage going, here comes Woody, here comes Woody. <laughs> <laughs> and like, okay, so as a kid, there's like a hierarchy of cartoons. And I bet I'm not alone on this where uh-huh. Warner Brothers is on the top. Uh-huh. And then you got MGM, mostly Tom and Jerry. Okay. And, and then you got Woody Woodpecker. And then if you were to break down Woody Woodpecker further, mm-hmm. this would be at the bottom of Woody Woodpecker as well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's don't like get sub chilly willy third tier cartoon. Oh yeah. Oh, totally, right? This uh, Woody Woodpecker show and all his friends, it's 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 a, a shambles, right? Mm-hmm. Chilly Willy is the most boring character. Today he's supplanted by Pingu. <laughs> interesting chili willy has been rendered irrelevant yeah yeah that's true i mean pengu is really charming so so i guess even though 
I probably had watched this cartoon. I didn't remember it at all. So um, I was surprised to see. So the star of this cartoon is Fatso the Bear. Mm-hmm. Or should I say Humphrey the Bear? Oh, should you? Yes, because Fatso, Humphrey the Bear from, from Disney cartoons, Donald Duck mm. cartoons. This is yep. straight up Humphrey. <laughs> like, okay, both are created by Jack Hanna of Hanna-Barbera, right? He used to animate all those Donald Duck cartoons. And they look the same, their voice acted the same, and they both have the same panicked cycle where they're <laughs> running in place. Oh, I am so, you have pinpointed the reason that I gave you this cartoon, and I was hoping that you would catch it. Yeah. Furthermore, well, how could I not? Uh, <laughs> it's like, furthermore, the, they have this character Willoughby, right? Yep. So he's like, he's kind of like fills every role in those Woody Woodpecker cartoons. I think most of the time he's in, like uh, a police inspector. Mm-hmm. But here he's a park ranger and his mannerisms are pretty much the same as Ranger Woodlore from Donald Duck. <laughs> I had to look up his name, Ranger Woodlore. But, yeah. Um, I haven't watched this cartoon. Is it the same kind of voice? Is it the Sterling Holloway kind of voice? It's very similar. The Willoughby voice is by somebody named Dawes Butler, who did Droopy. Oh, right. Okay. And Yeah, and like every Hanna-Barbera character, Huckleberry, Quick Draw, Snagglepuss. Yeah, yeah. So the ranger, uh, Ranger Willoughby has to open up the park. I and mean, there's some funny stuff, like he has to turn on, uh, turn on the geyser and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. He, um, he calls all the bears for, to give them the lowdown on how to act around these uh, uh, visitors. And he tells them to eat hearty, but mind your manners. <laughs> he instructs the bears to eat hearty around tourists. This sounds like a dead tourist and a lot of dead bears to me. Yeah. And if I remember correctly, this is the exact opposite of this exact same cartoon, this exact same Humphrey cartoon. Because if I remember correctly, there's a Humphrey cartoon that has this same plot to it. And the idea is the ranger has told them, like, I, I don't think the ranger even told them. I think there's just signs everywhere saying, do not feed the bears. And the joke is that everyone is just feeding the bears and the bears are living it up. Right. Well, this gets muddled here. Like, okay, so uh, in the next, uh, well, okay, sorry. He, he, Fatso, the main character, he gives him uh, contradictory orders because he's fat, you see. Right. So he tells him that he's going to have to be on this strict diet and he shouldn't be eating the the food that the tourists bring. So the, the, the weird thing here is that in the next shot, there's a lineup of bears getting served orange, orange lumps by a man who's roasting a ham. So like there's, a, <laughs> there's I don't know why that's so funny. Well, <laughs> I was wondering, is it part of the ham? I don't know. It's just, it's just some lumpy orange thing that he's scooping onto each plate. So they're just, they're in a line, right? Like at a buffet or something. But in all cases where Fatso's trying to eat, he has to steal the food, right? So I don't understand that exactly, but... Well, he's the fat bear. He's, he's on orders not to eat food, I guess. Yeah. Maybe, I don't know maybe, how the campers know that. Maybe in a, yeah, in a cut scene, Willoughby told all the campers, look out for this bear. <laughs> so he goes through a lot of weird hijinks to get the food, and he's thwarted by the ranger every time, right? And right. so they use this animation of Humphrey... Oh, sorry, I mean Fatso. Right. <laughs> they use him, that thing of him running in a panic where he's like whimpering, like, and his feet are scampering about, right? Yeah. But it's really awkward. It's just like this weird bumper between gags, right? <laughs> so, uh, oh, also like uh, earlier when I was talking about wabbit trouble. Yep. Uh, Willoughby kind of has an, accompl- an animal accomplice against uh, Fatso. There's a gopher. Okay. Yeah, it's it's pretty weird. One of one of uh, Humphrey's instances, uh, this gopher is stealing a ham, like he's burrowed underground, and the the oscillation of the earth is carrying the ham along his burrow trail. <laughs> right. But Humphrey replaces it with a boulder. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it leads to a series of events where the ham is suspended on. Uh, uh, the Yellowstone or Jellowstone geyser. And as Humphrey waits to get it when it falls, the gopher replaces the ham with the boulder. Oh, okay. Kind of 
a weird bunch of steps to get there. So anyway, by the end, the tourists all leave and Fatso hasn't gotten anything. And he's incredibly thin and wasted and he's like uh, uh, fallen over and breathing hard. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> Ranger Willoughby gaslights him. <laughs> I was like, you're a mess. Have you been dieting? <sighs> like, okay, so this was, this was maybe just a long weekend or something, right? Does he gaslight him on purpose or did he forget that he hid in a watermelon in order to thwart him? <laughs> that is an extremely funny phrase. Yeah, it's, it's bonkers. Anyway, I, I actually did a little extra credit on this. There's only two, only two Fatso cartoons. Oh, wow. The other one is called Bear and the Bees. And it's okay. one of those things, one of those things where Cupid, uh, Cupid is trying to oh. unite. Do you have a sense memory of this now? I don't, I, I might if I hear specifics, but like the concept, like, you know, when you say Cupid is like, oh, I, I see exactly where this is going. Yeah, like it starts with two rabbits running in terror from this uh, supernatural being until they get cornered and he shoots them and forces them to fall in love. <laughs> and so like he's like flying around and admiring his handiwork, you know, there's like, you know, more rabbits in love and some deers in love and so on. And then he comes across Fatso rooting around in a garbage can, like as, <laughs> as, as it's the one thing he's got left undone, right? Right. <laughs> so he goes to a cave and he blows his little pipe to lure out the female bear. And she's like this, uh, she might be the prototype for Cindy Bear from Yogi cartoons. Oh, okay. Does she have a skirt and everything? No, no. Just she's body naked. type? Yes. And uh, this one's like real swanky, right? Like she's projecting her hip and, and you know, like she has the thing of like, uh -huh, whenever she's on camera. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> funny thing is like she's down. She comes up and to, to Fatso's ass flexing out of the trash can right and right. and cupid shoots him but the one arrow doesn't work and fatso's like growling at her and aggressively defending his trash can <laughs> wow <laughs> so yeah he, he like goes for a heavier dose this little gatling gun of cupid arrows and then so oh cupid's like cupid has the hallmarks of uh his uh jack hannah's future is uh Hanna-Barbera creator, right? Where he's like, um, he's like giving advice to Fatso, you know, like, hey, you gotta be suave to woo that lady, you know? <clears throat> and, uh, <laughs> but he fails all the time, which really makes me wonder. At the beginning, he just shoots both of the rabbits. Why doesn't he shoot the bear? He just sets Fatso up to fail over and over again. Yeah, like, like why, I mean, I, I guess the, the actual reason is that they need an excuse for this setup, but like Fatso's just interested in the garbage and he right. gets hit with the arrow and all of a sudden now people are like, oh well if you really want this lady, here's how you get her. Like he didn't want the lady, he wanted trash. Well and also he uh he screws up every every step of it. How desperate mm -hmm. is she that she's still available <laughs> after he dumps a <laughs> trash gun on her head smashes a beehive on her head, uh, <laughs> ejects her out of a canoe to get stuck into a log, which he then dislodges her from by hitting her butt with a club. This, I, I think I need to watch <laughs> this cartoon just to, like, because it sounds incomprehensible. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not good, but, yeah, the, yeah I'll, I'll, I won't spoil the ending for you, I guess, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so. All right, well. The, these three cartoons have all had a nice three through line. Um, right. I don't have a smooth transition to the other one because it is not about animals in the wilderness. Uh, it's about humans in Ireland. But it's animated, right? Oh, it's animated. Don't worry. Well, there we go. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do you dirty like that. No. This is. All right. I'm going to try to say this. Um, this is an Irish language film. Um, and I'm going to try to say the title. It's Coolin Doch? Something like that. I'm sorry, Irish people. It, there's a reason that it's your heritage and not mine. Um, it, it, the English title for this is Backwards Boy. Hey, this is Matsy jumping in with an obvious edit. 
Uh, in the review that I'm about to give, I get a little lot more spoilery than I meant to and basically give away the entire cartoon. Uh, I apologize for that. I'll be more cognizant of it in the future. But for now, I want to warn you that if you're interested in watching this cartoon, you should probably watch it now before you listen to the rest of this podcast. Uh, if you go to YouTube and search for Backwards Boy, uh, there should be only one cartoon that comes out in the results from the user Cartoon Saloon. Like I said, the name is Irish, Kulin Dalek, but you should be able to find it. And then come back and listen to the rest, please. Thank you. It's, as I said, it's an Irish film from 2004, um, produced by a company called Cartoon Saloon, which is a really good name. And it is basically just about this boy who is born with his head attached to his body backwards. So he's facing, you know, behind him. And it's, there's no dialogue in it. It's all just narrated and it's all narrated in Irish. So unless you are from Ireland, you can't actually understand what's going on. And one of the things that I appreciate about it is that it does a really good job of showing you visually what's happening. Like it's, it understands that not everybody speaks Irish. My understanding is that even people in Ireland don't can't be guaranteed to know how to speak Irish. Right. Um, but this is basically the boy, Kulin Doc. He's, he's born with his head on backwards. The, the doctors and nurses are all freaked out. His father is kind of dismissive, doesn't want anything to do with him, but his mother loves him. And it is established early on that, and maybe there's a reason that is explained in the language, but it's not important, the specifics of it. The important thing to know is that he is probably going to die not long after the age of 18. So the chunk of the film is just showing him, you know, overcoming his weird d- disability. I don't know how to call it a disability, really. His his strange anatomy where he's like riding a bicycle backwards mm. or there's a, there's an amusing shot of him going and using a urinal and somebody looking at him funny because he's standing in front of the urinal, but he's facing away from it. So what's he doing in there? Right. You know, like I showed this, uh, to Raven, my girlfriend, right. Right. And, right. uh, she, uh, she had concerns that maybe this would be a little insensitive to real people that would have malformities of the spine. Hmm. I actually looked. I couldn't find any example of a person who had a head backwards, except for people who had the talent to turn their heads around. I remembered peripherally <laughs> a couple of degrees of separation that you have to take with a grain of salt. Um, on the Ricky Gervais show, um, one of the quote-unquote freaks that Carl Pilkington was talking about was somebody whose head was on backwards. Huh. Now, the thing is, Carl Pilkington has a habit of misremembering things, so it's entirely possible that this... And also, I can't... When you think about the anatomy of the neck, like, I can't imagine that that would happen, because there's at least three distinct segments there, spine, esophagus, and trachea, mm. and and the whole body, like, spine, stomach, lungs, are in a specific orientation, and so for the head to be on backwards like that... Don't think that's possible just because of how all those organs would have to twist. But it's not important. Right. And he probably misremembered or he was at a a freak show. It probably was one of those people who was flexible enough to turn his head all the way around. Or it was a body. It was like, this guy used to have his head on backwards. You know, he lived, you know, 20 years ago. Uh, And it's just like a cadaver that they sewed together wrong or something. Anyway, so he's... The kid's pretty happy, generally speaking. I mean, he come, he he figures out how to ride a bike, like I said. Um, his dad is never really accepting of him. Um, and he can't really find a place to fit in. Um, he plays a sport. I don't know what this sport is. At first, I thought it was rugby. And then I noticed that there was a goalkeeper. And mm. then I noticed that scoring a goal seemed to be worth 100 points. So... I actually meant to look this up, but this may be some kind of Irish sport that I'm not familiar with. And maybe people in Ireland can tell me, but he, he basically, and I don't know that this would really work the way that this cartoon thinks it does, but he kicks the ball and it goes backwards into his own goal. Mm. 
But the important thing is that he's just not kind of good at anything, really. I mean, he's living his life and he's pretty happy, but he's just not really finding a place to fit in until he sees swimming on TV and decides that that looks like fun. And he ends up entered in a swimming competition. Um, and what ends up happening is that because his head faces upward when he's swimming a breaststroke, he can breathe consistently, mm. whereas his opponents have to time their breaths with going in and out of the water. And because he has that, it, it helps his stamina so much, he ends up winning the swim meet. Mm -hmm. But the whole time he's swimming, the judges are all freaking out and looking at rule books and like, what is like, what? And finally, when he's about to receive his gold medal, um, the efficient there decides not to give him first place and disqualify him. But the happy ending there is that finally his father is proud of something that he did and gives him a hug. And, you know, even though he didn't win his family, you know, his dad loves him now. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, this is the point where he runs out of his 18 years. There's a cute little scene at the end where the, all the judge, there, I guess it's his wake and the yeah. judges and the, the guy who ended up getting the first place because he was disqualified and everybody, they all come to the wake and present his parents with the first place medal. Um, there's not really a lot to talk about with this film because it's not like a, it's not like a comedic short of any kind. Mm. Um, but it's good. Like, I'm glad I watched it. I think you're spot on about it having like a Gaelic voiceover, but I think it really shouldn't have had any voiceover at all. Unless there's some insights in there that uh, are unexpected. I think it probably should have just been told through the action. Yeah. Um, and I, I bet, you know, if somebody who speaks Irish, who's putting this much time and effort into making a film like this, they have to know that the Irish language is going to be very niche. Um, niche, actually, I guess is the word. And so I'm sure that this was made with the expectation that 90% of the people who see it won't be able to understand it. Mm. Um, but it's just this one little extra, you know, Easter egg for Irish people to go like, hey, this was made in Ireland and proudly made in Ireland. I It has a cool visual style. I, there's a lot of subtlety in the animation, like the way people smile and things like that that I like. Mm -hmm. um, there's this recurring thing of characters with glasses having like photographs of real human eyes yeah in the glasses which is cool um there's um the there's a nurse that kind of looks like one of the rabbits <laughs> okay um and like i said like it's it's a good film like i'm glad i watched it it's it's really interesting um it's just as far as discussing it, like there's not a lot to say about it, except that this is something that people should probably watch. Right. There's nothing really to make fun of. There's nothing really to compare it to because it's not like it's a part of a Looney Tunes or something like that, where we can't say that it's a ripoff of Humphrey. Right. Um, well, I guess, I guess, you know, I, I recommended two things, one of which was mostly for me to torture you. And, <laughs> and the other one that I thought, you know, this is just a good thing. And, that's exactly how it worked out. Like I've, I watched this and I'm like, that's great. I'm glad Micah brought this to my attention. I've watched it and I enjoyed it. And the other one was fascinating for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> okay. So Matsy, have you seen any of the cartoon saloon features? I don't think so. I know I looked them up and I saw the titles. I can't think of them off the top of my head. There's, there's uh, the book of Kells. Oh, right. I have not seen that, but I am aware of it. Right. And uh, let's see, uh, Song of the Sea. Mm -hmm. And I've seen those. I haven't seen The Breadwinner. And uh, the recent one, I believe, is Wolf Walkers. Okay. Um, it's really frustrating because they are interesting. Like, Book of Kells is their first one. And it's, um, in some ways, it looks a little unfinished to me. A lot of their movies have a really crazy art style. So Book of Kells is uh, based on, uh, like, the Irish um, uh, scripts, like, 
the, the monks would transcribe the Bible and so on, right? And make, okay, yeah. Make, make these elaborate illuminations, these, you know, drawings on the pages. Right, right. Yeah, so the, the film tries to uh, emulate that. Mm-hmm. One of the weird uh, aspects of it is that everything is sort of two-dimensional, you know? Okay. It's almost cubist, right? Like the elements in the background will be really flat. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and... Okay. And uh, Song of the Sea kind of carries that forward a little bit, where things look a little bit flat. Um, and, and that one's a story about, about a couple children who lost their mother because she was a, a selkie who returned to the sea. Oh, okay. But just really interesting stuff. The, the real tragedy of this is that the only way that I've found to watch it, watch any of these features now, is on Apple TV. Oh, weird. Yeah. They threw their lot in with Apple TV, which I don't know anybody who has it. I think my I bought an iPhone, and I think I have a year of Apple TV that I haven't, like, redeemed. Huh. Well, maybe a little bit of inroads to checking some of these out in the future. Because I, I, I highly recommend them. They are cool. t- It sounds good. It sounds like I like... I like an interesting art style like that. Like, and, and this, this, uh, Kulindor had, um, that where it's, there's some photography involved. Um, there's, it does the thing, which I kind of find is cute when, when the mom is wearing a textured dress and as she moves, the texture doesn't, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I like that kind of look. Um, she has, she's constantly wearing big yellow dish gloves. Doesn't she wear her apron to the, uh, <laughs> to yeah. the delivery room. <laughs> yeah, like it opens like it the thing is she wears this green dress with like a flower pattern and so it opens with this like shot that's moving forward between these hills. Right. And then her head pops up and it turns out that it was like her knees and breasts. Yeah. Yeah, it's like I said, it it has a cool visual style and I like that. I think I'm I'm wondering if there were different styles of animation used in different places because there's a sequence at the end where um uh, the boy is flying around, presumably with angels, and it it kind of looks like glass animation. You know, when mm. you like smear paint on a pa- pane of glass, mm-hmm. um, almost looks like that. And I wonder if this is if there's like because you know seeing the photographs of the eyes and things like that, it makes me wonder if there's like a number of different kinds of animation here. And it seems like this tune saloon really cares about the art of animation, mm-hmm. uh, which is cool. And that's kind of, you know, the, the cartoons that we've talked about were kind of plopped out to go in theaters and they need like a million of them a year. So they're like mass produced. And because the theatrical short isn't as much of a thing anymore, people who are making animated shorts like this are putting a lot of time and care into it and you end up with something like this which is really artistically interesting as well as written well as opposed to something like the ant and the aardvark which is you know it has its style but you can tell that it's done quickly and not and it's written to like okay let's get one of these big animal chasing little animal cartoons out as fast as we can hmm well yeah, interesting studio. We should uh, maybe see if we can find a way to catch wolf walkers. Yeah, agreed. Well, that's going to do it for this week's cartoons. But of course, we need cartoons for next week, and uh, we're going to share them so you stalkers at home can uh, watch along if you like. So, Micah, what have you selected for me to watch next week? Okay, I have something that's familiar and new at the same time. I'm talking about season two of Inspector Gadget. <laughs> the episodes in the episodes in particular are "The Cape Man Cometh" uh-huh. and "Gadget and the Red Rose." All right. Okay, so what do you got for me? For well, for <laughs> for a little behind the scenes thing, you had uh, previously given me a tiny little uh, preview. By saying Cape Man and asking if I had, you know, if I recognized that to tell if this is something that I would know. And I didn't. Mm-hmm. I never would have expected Inspector Gadget. Ah. <laughs> that's a, that's out of nowhere, but okay. Um, so for you, I, 
I got an idea and I decided it's too early in our podcasting career to torture you with that. So instead, I'm going to put that in the pocket and save that one for later and do something only slightly less torturous. Um, And I'm going to have you watch some Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling. (laughs) Okay. Um, Specifically, if you go on YouTube and search around, uh, there is a user who has all the episodes uploaded. Um, And what I want you to watch is episode three and episode 21. And... The reason for that difference is these are two episodes that I have vague memories of. Um, And also, one is from season one and one is from season two. So maybe we'll see how the show uh, evolved. (laughs) Yes, a broad sample. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, Matsy, how are people going to contact you? If people want to get in touch with me, uh, you can get in touch with me on Twitter. Follow me. At A.C. Matsy. How about you, Micah? Well, I'm Drab Swatch on Twitter. And uh, I think that about does it for the show. So everybody, thanks for uh, listening. And remember to live by the Celery Stalker slogan. Make a wish for me. Wish I was dead. 